So this reading comes from the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 11, and we're beginning at verse 29. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea, as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched round them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle, and they routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released, so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning, and they were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and ill-treated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in the deserts and mountains, living in caves and the holes in ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks for that, Paul. Well, I invite you um, to get your Bibles, and in a moment we'll open them up to the reading. I'll give you the page number, but first let's pray. Gracious God, as we break open your word this morning, we ask that you would break open our hearts and minds, help us to learn from your word, to use it in our life, to focus on Jesus, and to be glorif- to glorify you in everything that we do and say. Amen. Well, you'll find the reading from Hebrews 11 and 12, uh, starting on page 1296 of your pew Bibles. 1200, pardon? 1470. 1478, apparently. Close. Somewhere above 1,000. Right. Well, we are into the second week of our series on Hebrews. Last week, David threw every sporting analogy imaginable into his sermon, highlighting how Hebrews 11 recounts the amazing hall of faith, how the Hebrews community shouldn't be living for the earthly kingdom but for God's kingdom and helping them and us understand what it means to have a life of faith in Team Jesus. 
Today, we're continuing through chapter 11 and the beginning of chapter 12. It's true that opposites attract, and whilst David is a sporting fanatic and actually quite good at sport, I can't say that it's my strong point. Nevertheless, I've managed to land on some pretty good sporting analogies, so I hope you can excuse the bad puns and take away some good teaching about God. Before we begin, let's remind ourselves the Hebrews community to whom this letter was addressed were worried about their faith. They were worried that their faith in Jesus wasn't all right. And they weren't sure if they were actually on the team of God's faithful people because of their faith in Jesus. They decided they needed to go back to the family album to remind themselves of where they had come from. And they, t- they had to think about through the sort of faith their forebears had had and see how the long purposes of God, cherished and believed in the face of impossibility and even death, are finally fulfilled in the events concerning Jesus, how the Old Testament is fulfilled in the New Testament and the new life that this brought. So as we delve deeper into this passage today, I pray that we'll be able to see the incredible team of God that precedes the Hebrews community. We will be reminded of the victories gained through their faith. We can also understand the injuries or sufferings that many of them endured for their faith and ultimately see how these things point us to the prize that awaits the finish line for the faithful members of God's team. So first, to the team of God's faithful people. For this starting lineup, let's look at verses 29 to 31. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. In the first part of chapter 11, we read through examples of individuals who demonstrated great faith in God. In the second half, the author of Hebrews moves to a different scale, the nation of Israel. These examples of faithfulness, Moses, Abraham, Sarah, almost pale in comparison with what happens for the whole nation. The entire Red Sea is moved. The Egyptian army is crushed. The walls of the fortified city of Jericho are brought down. The lowliest of women, according to ancient standards, Rahab the prostitute, was the one chosen to be saved from perishing. And I think in just these few short verses we can see highlighted what true faith can accomplish. Faith is not just a flowery concept that appeases our anxiety. It is something that brings about transformation and incredible change. So incredible that faith has moved mountains and seas and it has even brought down the walls of cities. Now, what's important to note here is that the author of Hebrews makes some really striking comparisons in each of these verses. And we see in each verse that there's actually a faithful character and a non-faithful character. 
If you look at verse 29, the people had face, the Egyptians did not. Verse 30, the army had face, the city of Jericho did not. Verse 31, Rahab had face, those around her did not. In each of these verses, those who had face were the underdogs. Israelites versus Egyptians, an army of horns versus a fortified city, a prostitute in a crowd of righteous people. But because of their faith, they weren't the underdogs. They were victorious. Rahab wasn't even Jewish. But Hebrews reminds us that it's not our Jewishness or our strength or our status that saves us. It is our faith. It is being part of God's team about saying yes to God that saves us. This really clearly brings us to the next section, the victories of those on God's team. Verses 32 to 35. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Now, as the Hebrews take this walk down memory lane, the author almost gets tired of recounting how many victories there have been. What more shall I say? He makes a sweeping statement to refer to just some of the greatest heroes. While none of these heroes is perfect by any means, verses 33 and 34 extol their victories. Kingdoms are conquered, justice is administered, land is won, lions attained, fire is no match and they triumph over superior foreign armies. People were even raised from the dead. So if you're like me and getting a bit excited and wanting to jump on this bandwagon, let's sign up to this winning team. Because, I mean, who doesn't love riding the coattails of the victorious? But just like an athlete who jumps the starting gun, we risk getting carried away in thinking that what these people have achieved has been done in their own strength. Remember, the beginning of verse 32 reminds the Hebrews and us that these victories occurred through faith, through God. Just consider Gideon, who led 300 men with horns against the whole Midianite army, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego who faced being burnt alive because they refused to renounce their faith. Or Daniel in the lion's den who held fast to his faith in the face of being eaten alive. We know that these people were the underdogs in every single one of these situations. And if they had been written on a fighter's card, there is no way they would have won. Many of the times, the situations were simply impossible. Let's not forget either that none of them were perfect. They all sinned. 
So what is it that makes them victorious? It's God. It's God who brings the victories. There is nothing in all of creation that could have brought down the walls of Jericho or forced away the Midianites or saved Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego from a furnace seven times hotter than normal, except for God. None of them were perfect. But as David said last week, in their imperfection, they chose to say yes to God. And with that came God's strength in all things. And it is these examples of strength through faith that encouraged their teammates, even when they faced incredible suffering and pain. Behind every successful starting lineup is the injury bench. So let's look at the injuries on God's team. We keep on at verse 35. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. So as clearly in the section before, as the author has painted the awesomeness of God to his faithful people, he moves now to highlight the faithfulness of those who didn't see victory in battle or triumph against foreign armies. He reminds his readers of the sufferings that many of their forebears endured. Torture, imprisonment, flogging, chains, death. He doesn't even leave out the clothing, the destitution, the persecution or the mistreatment, let alone the wandering in the desert and the living in caves and holes. And to top it all off, in verse 39, we see that none of them received what had been promised. Now, you'd be forgiven for thinking that these few verses missed the final edit. Because what self-respecting team would openly advertise the hardships they've been through to encourage new members to join? Who would want to hear about the injuries and the failures? In the modern day, that would be considered a marketing nightmare. But rather than these verses being a deterrent to joining God's team, the writer is making a clear point. He draws a parallel between the sufferings of the Hebrews to whom he was writing with the sufferings of the faithful who had gone before them. And instead of these heroes of the faith giving up, they persevered through all things. The fact that they suffered so very much and that they demonstrated that the world was not worthy of them was a sign both that they believed that God was making a new world in which everything would be better and that this belief was true. They were out of step with their times because they were living by faith not in the present but by faith in God's future. And God was giving them the strength to live like that. 
They were living beacons of hope, pointers to the fact that the God who had made the world was intending to remake it. Even though they didn't live to see the gift that had been promised, they persevered through the greatest of trials and in doing so set an incredible example to the Hebrews then and to us now. So, where do we go from here? We know the great testimonies of the heroes of faith. We know those who triumphed in God's strength. And we know those who persevered through trial. The incredible news is as we look at the final verses of today's passage, is that the finish line is bold. It's unmissable. It's Jesus. Verse 40. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Some of the Hebrews who received this letter were considering returning to Judaism because they were so unsure about their faith. What a loss that would have been. We see clearly in verse 40 that while the great heroes of the old bear witness to faithful living, It is only through Jesus that we can be made perfect. It's only through Jesus that God's perfect promise is fulfilled. The writer brings together the witness of the old with the fulfillment of God's promise through Jesus' death and resurrection. And he says, let's be encouraged by the great cloud of witnesses who stand before us, beside us, and around us to encourage us. And he tells us the prize that is at the finish line. There's no ifs and buts. Jesus' gift to us was to reconcile us to God through forgiveness of sin. It was a complete, perfect and sufficient gift and sacrifice. And that's why it's Jesus at the finish line, seated at the right hand of the throne of God. But yet, Although there is a clear goal in our sights, although the prize has been revealed nearly 2,000 years ago, although this prize is for everyone who believes, we're not at the finish line yet. Jesus is, and he's waiting for us. I pray that we live for the day that when we will see Jesus again. But how do we get from here to there? from now into the future? How do we live so that we can see Jesus? We see the answer in verses 1 and 2, which evoke the ultimate sporting analogy, the race. If you've ever been brave enough slash crazy enough to participate in a running race, you'll realise it is all too easy to be underprepared. Endless hours of googling and training are needed, and many obstacles can hinder us. 
too much weight, going out too fast, losing our way, not being nourished. But Hebrews gives us the answers to run this race, this race of faith, and to make it to the finish line. The author tells us to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. If we were preparing for a running race, we would run with only the essentials. We would shed the weight, the unnecessary clothing, anything that keeps us from reaching our goal. So, as we run the race of faith, we need to cast off the hindrances, keep away from the sin that so easily entangles. None of the witnesses who surround us were free from sin. We are all liable to it. But when we let sin control our lives, it steers us off course. Moreover, we need to be prepared for the right kind of race. The reality is, unfortunately, that the Christian life is not a sprint, that it is a marathon. I would say it's an ultra-marathon most days. We know from those who have gone before us that the race is not an easy one. They said to someone this morning, the nights are long, the years are short. It's often a race marked with suffering and often at times it seems impossible. It requires our resolute determination, our all in all. But the great news is we need to look only to the finish line to find that determination, the strength and the resolve to make it there. Jesus. Jesus endured the cross and he scorned its shame for the joy set before him, the prize of reconciling all of creation to God. He kept his eye on the joy that was waiting him, the joy of doing his Father's will, of bringing God's promise to fulfilment, he persevered through the pain of an agonizing and cruel, cruel death. So too, I pray and believe that we are called to persevere and we can persevere knowing that Jesus is our prize. He is the one sufficient sacrifice. He is not only the author of our faith, but he is also the perfecter of our faith. And there is no first, no second or third place because all who run this race win the same prize. He is the joy that is set before us. Friends, I hope that today you've been able to see through the bad sporting puns and seen the prize that is set before us through God's love for us. And I pray that you will take heart when you are unsure of what value your faith holds, that it is by faith that we are members of God's team. Remember that when there is triumph in our lives, that we live by faith and not by our own strength. I pray that you'll be comforted when you face trial at work, with your families, with your health, when you feel that this daily walk bears too much, that God is with you. And I pray that you'll rest assured that as we run this race, 
as we throw off everything that hinders, as we persevere through this marathon, you will know that Jesus is waiting for us. The prize is assured and we can all seek the joy that is set before us in Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Amen.